Welcome back, everyone. This is lesson three. Lesson three is entitled Inspiration and Inerrancy. This is the lesson where we're going to dive a little bit deeper defining and trying to understand better what these two concepts are. What is inspiration? We say the, the, the Bible is the inspired word of God. What does that mean? And what do we mean when we say that it is inerrant? It is without error because really these two statements, the Bible is inspired and the Bible is inerrant, are two sides of the same coin. You really can't separate one from the other. One flows into the other. So what I'd like to do, if you have your notes in front of you uh, for this lesson here, um, open up, we're on page one of the notes, and we wanna just do a couple of introductory remarks here to try to understand these truths of biblical inspiration and biblical inerrancy. Uh, we want to understand later, so we're gonna look at proper models or understandings of what inspiration is and what it is not, what, ins what inerrancy is and what it is not as we go through this lesson here. But what I like to do is to segue from this last lesson on divine revelation. So if you remember really, really quickly, what we did in the last lesson was look at what natural revelation is, or as we can see the existence of God, this is a defined dogma of the faith, we can know that God exists using our, our noggins, right? Using our pea brains. We could just know that God exists by observing the natural world, observing the intricacies and the, the creation of ourselves, whether it's the macro level of the universe uh, or the mountains or the sea or the, the earth or whatever, and the micro level of the atom. We could know that there needs to be an intelligent design for this. It's absolutely true. So there's so many scientists out there that just are converted because they study the natural world and, and, they're, and they're converted. So that's natural revelation. Then we look at how that's limited to a certain extent. We can know that God exists, but we don't know who God is unless he reveals himself to us. That's divine revelation. So we looked at divine revelation, how it's transmitted uh, throughout all the generations, through scripture and tradition. We quoted St. Paul. I know this is a topic of dissension with Protestants, but hey, I converted to Catholicism. I was raised a Protestant. These verses convinced me beyond a shot of a doubt the Bible alone is insufficient uh, as the transmission of, go of God's revelation. And we looked at all of that uh, and the authority of the church for interpreting uh, divine revelation, all that stuff. So now as a segue, really, if you want to look at that as a premise, the segue then obviously uh, the inspiration of scripture, because this is one of the means, uh, a special primary mean by which God communicates to us, right? So there's a logical flow here. And what I'd like to do is just simply read the first paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's one of my favorites. It's often quoted because it's so beautiful. So look with me here in the notes and we're going to see this concept of how God freely reveals himself out of love. He doesn't need to. God is perfectly sufficient unto himself, right? He doesn't need creation in any way, shape, or form, but he freely creates out of love. So let's read this together here. Catechism number one, it says, God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself and a plan of sheer goodness freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, and to love him with all of his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. End quote. That is, that is so beautiful. Like you could just highlight that whole thing in yellow because it's so beautiful. And it's the perfect introduction, not just to the catechism, 
And it really is a beautiful introduction to the whole catechism and all the themes of God's love and his desire to save us. Why? He, well, by the way, I should clarify this before we move on. Salvation is much, much more than just forgiveness of sins. I say this all the time to my students. Forgiveness of sins is one aspect of salvation, but the purpose of saving us from our sins is in order that we would become God's adopted children. That's the theme that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We are called to be God's adopted children, and this is only accomplished through Jesus Christ. That, that right there is a nutshell of all of Scripture, okay? A nutshell of, of all of salvation history. So this is the purpose of Revelation, my friends. Really, just to summarize uh, last lecture is God wants to save us freely, without compulsion, because he loves us and he wants to give us a share of his own divine life. So if we accept the premise, of, again, of divine revelation, then this conclusion of inspiration makes sense. God speaks forth his word in a unique way in sacred scripture in order to reveal himself to us so that we could become saved from our sins, freed from our sins, and receive God's own divine life. Okay? So think of this. Scripture is inspired by God because he desires to reveal and communicate himself to us in a human language that we can understand. That's it, right? That's the purpose of the inspired word of God, because God desires to communicate to us, to reveal himself to us, ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we should cherish the scriptures. As I said, if you remember a few weeks back, I talked about how scripture is a heaven-sent treasure. It's more than just any other book, and we looked through all of that stuff back in lesson one. You can go back and listen to that lesson in the audio library if you want to. But I got this great quote for you here from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Here in your notes, he says, The person who thirsts for God eagerly studies and meditates on the inspired word, knowing that there he is certain to find the one for whom he thirsts. That is beautiful. The person who thirsts for God studies and meditates. That's prayer, right? You prayerfully study. We'll talk a lot about that in Lesson 10. But eagerly studies and prays over the scriptures because you know you're going to encounter the God for whom your soul thirsts. Beautiful, beautiful line from St. Bernard. Okay? All right, so let's, that's enough to say for the introduction. Let's take the rest of our time together and divide this lecture into two halves. Number one, we want to look at inspiration, what it is and what it isn't. And we'll look at some scripture passages, uh, which not we don't want to do circular reasoning here. We don't want to say the Bible's inspired because the Bible says it's inspired. I used to say that as a Protestant Christian, and that's called circular reasoning. reasoning. That's not the way to approach it. We need an outside authority to say this is inspired and this isn't. We're going to talk about all of that. And then in the second part, we're going to look at inerrancy. What does it mean that the Bible is inerrant and without error? And then we'll look at in a future lecture of various examples on, well, some famous examples that people say, oh, the Bible is wrong on these three different points. I only have one hour to go with you, but we're going to look at some of the biggies here to show you that no, the Bible is is telling the truth. It is not contradicting itself in these examples, okay? And then if we had a bajillion years, we could go through all the rest of the examples. All right, so part one here in your notes, and to kick this off, I want to read to you. It's a rather lengthy, but it's a very, very important quote from the Catechism, paragraph 106. It's quoting Dei Verbum. But this, ca- this Catechism quote is really going to set up the four major topics for understanding and their inspiration, okay? So let's read it here together. Those divinely revealed realities, so there you go, divinely revealed realities, so we've got to talk about divine revelation first. Those divinely revealed realities which are contained and presented in sacred scripture have been committed to writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For Holy Mother Church, relying on the belief of the apostles, holds that both books, so the books of both the Old and New Testaments, in their entirety, with all of their parts, 
are sacred and canonical because written under the inspiration of the Spirit, they have God as their author and have been handed on to the church herself. In composing the sacred books, God chose men, and while employed by him, they made use of their powers and their abilities, so that with him acting in them and through them, they as true authors consigned to writing everything and only those things which he wanted. So I know that's a little bit long, but really what we have here is four main points. And what I did in your notes here is I put letters A, B, C, and D, so you can see what we want to look at here in the rest of this, well, really the first part of this passage or this lecture. Number one, what does it mean to be inspired by the Holy Spirit? Again, what it means, what it doesn't mean. We'll look at the various models that have been proposed out there and what the church sides with. Um, uh, number two, or B if you want to look at it, uh, all of Scripture, whole and with all of its parts, is inspired. C, point three, that the inspired books have been handed on to the church herself as, a, as the church has received these books as inspired. Okay, And then number four, or D here, um, they're true authors. The human authors are true authors. They're not robots. They're not secretaries. We're going to unpack all of this here in the rest of the lecture. Okay. Alrighty, so let's look first here at letter A. What does it mean to be inspired by the Holy Spirit? Okay, so the number one verse that everyone goes to, both Catholic as well as Protestant, as well they should, is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a very beautiful passage. It's right here. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so there's a lot of what this verse is saying, and there's a lot of what this verse is not saying, but I want to zoom in here on the line, it's inspired by God. Theopnostos is one way to pronounce it. You can ask five different scholars and give you five different pronunciations. But Theopnostos is inspired by God. What does that mean? So I've got the Greek word in your notes, so you don't have to say it's Greek to me. Let's unpack that a little bit. God breathed. It's a very beautiful expression here. And it really evokes, if you think about it, the first creation, the original creation back in Genesis 1. It means that God breathes forth his word and the breath of God evokes the spirit of God in Genesis 1. In, in Hebrew, the word is ruach, right? It's the breath, it's the wind, it's the spirit of God. Really, the spirit of God is the great meaning here. In the original creation account, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, what you find is that God is there, His Spirit is hovering above the waters, and then God speaks, let there be light, and then there is light. And then He goes through all the days of creation. And this brings forth the, you know, the birds and the bees and the land and the, you know, all the animals and mankind, etc. Okay? But there's the presence of the Holy Trinity right there in the first creation. God speaks. And then everything comes into being. Well, here it's so beautiful because what you have is kind of a the means of the new creation, right? Where God is God breathed, Theognostos. So God breathes forth his word and you see the presence again of the Holy Trinity. There's God speaking, breathing through the spirit, his word, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of Trinitarian theology we could do. We don't have the time to do that right now. But you see the presence of all three persons of the Trinity in this one Greek word. God, the Father, the God, the, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, right, with the breath, the Ruach, kind of, is the echo in the background in the Old Testament there. And then the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. So it evokes the first creation because what's going on here is God is bringing about a new creation through Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word. 
word. And he's being revealed through the inspired word here in scriptures. Okay. So God breathes his own divine life, his own divine words into the words of the sacred authors in an active, intentional way. He breathes forth his word, Jesus Christ, his truth, Jesus Christ, into the words of the human authors to communicate himself to us. And so what that means is that God is the, the first author of, human, of Scripture. He is the true, the primary, the original author of Scripture. That means the origin of the Bible is divine. The origin of the Bible is supernatural. It's not just Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or Moses, or Jeremiah, or whomever, Paul, writing down whatever they're writing down. It's that God, in, in an active way, communicates his truth, breathes forth in a Trinitarian way, his word, his truth, through the words of the human authors. That's what we mean by, or at least looking at uh, 2 Timothy here, that's what we mean by the word theopnostos, it's God-breathed. Okay, so the origin supernatural and divine. It's not St. Paul sitting there in prison writing something and then God says, Ooh, I like what you did there. Let me now inspire it. No, God acts first through the human authors. Uh, let's go look at a number of other verses here. We want to look at Peter and then we're going to look at some various models of what we mean by this and what we don't mean by this. So let's flip the page here in your notes and then we're going to continue. Hi, I'm Dr. Nick. Thank you so much for watching this clip. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you want to access the entire lesson and the entire course, come visit us over at scriptureandtradition.com and join our community of students. You'll be able to access all of my courses in the audio library. Plus, you'll be able to access my live courses whenever I teach a new topic on scripture or the Catholic faith. God bless you.